All right, if you have your Bibles, grab those. Matthew 16 uh, is where we'll be uh, as we're just working through the Gospels right now. We uh, uh, are on a journey as a church, um, and so even our small group ministries are kind of working through, uh, through the New Testament this year. That's, that's where we get our discussions and things like that from uh, in our group time, but just as well as a church, uh, another way for us just to be uh, together on one page as we walk through that. I'll, I'll just be preaching from uh, a portion of our, our readings through the week. And so for, for me, just landed at Matthew 16. Uh, a little bit of my background was um, I grew up in West Virginia, small uh, little country church, very fundamental independent. What that means, if you don't know that terminology, uh, is that the church I grew up in, we were very heavily uh, on uh, the do's and don'ts. Very law-driven. If you didn't look a certain way, if you didn't talk a certain way, if you didn't act a certain way, if you didn't even read the scriptures from a certain uh, translation, uh, you were in big trouble and probably going to hell. Um, so that's just that's the way that I've interpreted and understand it, uh, which is not the case. Uh, um, there is freedom that is found in Christ, and there is a standard that we've been called to live by of, of holiness. And um, uh, we allow the Holy Spirit to work and do uh, in that, um, and we, we long for the accountability and love uh, from community uh, and other believers. And so, uh, just as I was reading this week, th- this story here, just, it just jumped out at me like crazy, and I just couldn't shake it. Just couldn't shake it. So what we'll see, two things this morning in the Scriptures is this. Jesus is going to address the Pharisees and the Sadducees about signs that they really don't care about. So he, he's going to kind of address that for just a second, a few verses there, um, and just, uh, just let them know that they really don't care. And then he's going to move on very, very quickly and get to his disciples um, about the religious nonsense uh, that he just uh, dealt with, with the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, that is so easily uh, infiltrating hearts and hands. And so, uh, so we'll look at those two, two thoughts there to kind of navigate through the scriptures this morning. Um, and so the Pharisees and Sadducees, we'll... We'll talk a little bit here in a minute about them, but they, they are uh, some of Jesus' greatest enemies, so some of Jesus' greatest opposition, those that were constantly uh, coming at him, constantly asking questions that they really didn't care if they got the answer or not. They were just trying to discredit him. They were trying to uh, shut him up. They were trying to get uh, rid of him uh, because he was a pain in their sight, and they uh, could not stand him, and so they, they judged him. But, but the greater problem is that they misjudged God and misjudged themselves. Because the reality is that Jesus could have come in a thousand ways. A thousand different ways he could have come. He came in a manger, but he could have come by way of the throne. Uh, he was wrapped in rags, but he could have been uh, robed in fine cloth. He was born to a carpenter, but he could have been born to a king. He'd have come any, way that, uh, that any other way that God had decided, and it still would not have been good enough because they rejected Jesus because they refused to believe that they needed the only thing that he came to give them. They thought that they had it together. They thought that they had it all figured out. They were following rules and regulations and even uh, interpreting wrong and making them up as they go. And so uh, one of their big downfalls, like I said, is legalism, that, that of legalism. And so that's what we're going to address. That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so legalism could be defined as this. I found this, this definition this week. John Piper says this, legalism is the conviction that law keeping is the grounds for acceptance with God. It's a failure to be amazed by grace. Read it one more time. Legalism, conviction that the law, a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, a list of regulations, is the ground for our acceptance with God. So the way that you're good with God, the way that you're okay with God is, well, did you did you keep the commandments this week? 
Did you not do this? Did you, did you act this way? Did you perform well this week? And in that, it's a failure to be amazed by grace because the thing that we've got to understand about grace is grace is unmerited favor. From who? The one we're trying to impress. The one that knows us. The one that gets us. The one that understands and sees things that nobody else in this room understands and sees about us. The nasty, dirty little things about us that, that he sees and he understands well that we hide and guard from everybody else. That's what's so amazing about grace because even in that place, he accepts and loves and comes for us. So, so they are trying to, to, to keep the law, live out the law, these rules and regulations, could care less about grace. And so legalism is easy to drift towards. It's easy to drift. Relationship is hard. Rules are easy. If my, I'm telling y'all right now, I would be so much of a better husband if my, my wife would just give me like the five things to do. You know what I'm saying? The men laugh because we're all the same way. Like, boo, if you would just tell me like what are the, like your top five lists this week, I will, I, I can, I still won't even do it great, but I can at least kind of drift that way and do the best I can getting to there. If she would just do that. But she don't. She, she, I mean, I may get hints here and there, but they're not even like direct like, like you know what I'm saying? It's like little subtle, um, uh, little subtle hints left along the way. And I'm just not good at picking up those hints. Like, I, I need, like, hit me with your best shot. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 pull back and just let me have it. So that's what legalism does. It drifts toward rules and laws because that's easy to try to keep and do. Relationships difficult and messy and hard. And so for them, the thought, they're justified by the works of the law. See, we get God to be, become our friend. We measure up by keeping the laws. That's how we do it. And the gospel is the good news that, that, that that's impossible. That's what's so great about the God. The gospel is us. It says, no, you, you can't. You can't keep the law. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. You, can't, you cannot earn it because that, that gets rid of grace. Unmerited favor. There's nothing in us that deserves it or, or should be given to us. There's nothing that we can do. Church, just hear me this morning. This might be the most freeing thing that you've heard in a long time. There is nothing that you can do for God to love you more than he already does. Absolutely nothing you can do for God to love you more than he already does. And the even more freeing thing is, is that there's nothing that you can do to cause him to love you less than he already does. Nothing you can do. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on how well or how good you are or you do. And that's what frustrated Jesus. That's what, that's what got him because Jesus is about relationship. He's about grace. He's about his sacrifice. Because if there's anything that you can do to earn it or deserve it, then you've robbed God of his glory. You've stole that from him. So, so, so join me this morning as we pray, and then we'll jump into the scriptures here in Matthew 16. But, but let's pray. Father, help us. Help us get this, help us understand, feel this this morning. God, this is easy to talk about, sometimes difficult to live out and walk in. It's easy to see on how can point to what we've accomplished by following a list of things. Much more difficult to gauge relationally sometimes. So Father, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, do work in this place. Do work in our hearts. Help us see with fresh eyes, hear with fresh ears. Bow with glad obedience.
God, do the work you need to do in this place. Set the captives free, I pray. And we pray. Amen. First thing, Matthew 16, 1 through 4. Jesus addresses the Pharisees and Sadducees about the signs they, they really don't care about. Look at what it says in verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. So they... Come to Jesus, they approach Jesus. These are the religious sects within uh, Judaism at the time of Christ here. Uh, both of these groups, they honored Jesus and the law. Uh, they both had a measure of political power there. So there, there was sweat, there was, uh, uh, there was power there. Uh, see, the Sadducees, a little bit more, a literal interpretation of the text of Scripture, but a little bit more political. You, you have the who gave the oral tradition equal authority to the written word of God. Uh, they would be maybe a little bit more religious. And so those are the two groups that have approached Jesus, and you see throughout the Gospels them come to him and approach him. And, and the reality is this. These two groups coming together should be a red flag from the get-go. Uh, I mean, these two playing in the same realm or same field on the same team together is, uh, is red flag number one. Like, like these two, I mean, uh, they didn't really care for one another. Uh, they didn't really uh, uh, want to give up power. They didn't want to give up um, uh, the different things to the other group uh, so that they, they would tolerate, but they didn't care for. And so they were people who got together to try to disrupt Jesus, to try to throw him off, to try to disprove him, to try to get rid of him. They were people who didn't care for him because of their fear of what he could take from them, religious and political power. If Jesus got a following, if Jesus got a group, if Jesus had momentum, what that could do to them. So the Pharisees and Sadducees, they come. This is why, to test him. And so they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So they approach him, they go to him, hey, we, we want to see something. Perform for us. Do something cool for us. Uh, we we want to see a sign. We wanna, just so we can know, so we can prove, so we can, so we can see, so we can under, understand, right? T test bad thing. But the problem is this, Jesus has already, has already improved himself over and over and over. I mean, he's healed the sick. He's, he's raised the dead. He's getting hearing back to the deaf. He's, he's, he's a, a, an issue of blood. He's, he's healed up. I mean, he's fed for 5,000 with a couple fish sandwiches and has enough left over. See, there's more than enough evidence to point to the fact of who Jesus Christ really is. The issue is they didn't want to submit and follow and obey. They didn't want to lose power. They loved self and comfort more than they did the reality of who Christ was. And they didn't want that. They didn't want to give that up. They didn't want to pry their hands off of what they thought was control. So it goes on and Jesus answers them. And this is his response. He says, when, the evening, when it's evening, you... So, so he's going back tradition stuff, going back at them with what they think. He, he says, uh, you say it will weather for the sky is red and in the morning it will be stormy today for there for the sky is red and threatening you, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times what jesus is saying is this is that you believe try to predict the weather but all that and all that you've known about me all that you've experienced all that you've heard is not enough it's not enough to prove and show. Like, I can remember as a kid growing up, my, my, dad, would, my dad would even do this. He's like, man, boy, it's going to be bad tomorrow. I'm like, Dad, what you talking about? Look at the sky. I'm like, huh? It's going to be nice tomorrow. Because of the sky. How do you know because of the sky? Well, red, si uh, red 
God nights, the sailor's delight. My dad has never sailed in his life. Uh, we, we live in the, in the mountains of West Virginia. The best you're going to get is a, is a small lake. You're not putting a sailboat on that. Uh, Red Scott Knights, a sailor's delight. Like, when, when, was last time, when was the last time he was in the open seas, Dad? Well, no, no, son. It was just a saying. Or Red Sky in the morning, sailor take warning. I'm like, what? So we wake up tomorrow. It's a red sky. We need to hunker down and get ready. Well, yeah, it's going to get bad. Just don't be out in the woods too far by yourself, boy. That's all I'm telling you. I mean, I mean, it's, it's kind of that type of stuff. These little, little sayings, these little things that would come by, they would grab a hold of, or they would kind of uh, drum them up themselves, little silly, silly things to predict stuff or to do stuff or, or to kind of and manipulate. They, they would cling to that. But, the, but Jesus here in the flesh, God in the flesh, doing the work of the Father, the kingdom is at hand is what he proclaims. I'm here, Rescuer, your redeemer. You can't interpret those signs. You don't get those signs. It's because they didn't want to get those signs. They didn't want to hear. They didn't want to see. He says this in verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. An evil and adulterous generation will seek for a sign. We don't need God to do another thing. We've got enough evidence. We've got enough proof. We've got a, a, enough working and doing. We don't need another thing for him to do. He's done too much already. But he says, but no sign will be given to it. So he left him and departed. Jesus isn't a sign worker for the sake of just doing it. He's not a puppet on a string. That's not what Jesus is there to do. That's not who he is. And he knew that the reality is this, is that no sign would be good enough. They didn't want to know truth. They didn't care about truth. They cared about disproving. They cared about silencing. They cared about doing away with. That's what they cared about. So no matter what he did, what does he do? He points back to Jonah. If that wasn't enough, if all that God has accomplished through, through the prophet, this rebellious prophet, if that's not enough, nothing will be enough. Not even the resurrection of himself was enough for them. So, so what do we take away? What, what, do we, what do we do with this? Church, I just want to tell you the greatest sign that we have, the greatest evidence today in the church of who Jesus Christ is, is a life redeemed. It's salvation. You want to see a miracle. If you're here this morning, born again of God, that's a miracle. That's death to life. That's death to life. Your salvation story is the most powerful thing you have, one of the most powerful things that you have and possess of what God has done in you and through you to bring you to life. I mean, you were dead in your sin and your trespasses is what the Scripture teaches. You have got a story to tell. People want to see and want to know and prove it. I don't know about you, but I know how I was before I was saved. I don't, I don't know what your story is. And mine, I'm going to be honest, mine really wasn't that bad. I was not really a church kid, but we went some. I mean, God saved and rescued me at 11. So I didn't really have a chance to kind of get into some stuff. You know what I'm saying? I still got into stuff, but I, I didn't really get into stuff. Like, like he spared me and rescued me from that, and for whatever reason, guarded my heart from some things. But what I do know this is I used to be like this, but now I'm like this. And the natural inclination of my heart is not to be like that. The natural inclination of my heart is what we see in the Scriptures here. I want to be for Scott. I want to be for self. I want to be for pleasure. I want to be for my wants. All I know is I, I used to be unloving, and now I'm loving. 
I used to be selfish, and now I'm more other-focused. I used to be anxious, but now I have peace even in the midst of a storm. I used to be impatient, and I'm working toward patience. I used to be unkind, and now I'm kind. And that's not the natural draw of the heart. The natural draw of the heart is opposite. Uh, no, if I'm going to be loving, it's going to be to self. I'm going to be me-focused, not others-focused. I'm going to worry about everything. Why? Because I can't control nothing, though I think I can, though I have a false sense and hope of, of, of control that's not there. Uh, all I know is that I used to be really, really, really impatient. Now I'm just less impatient than what I used to be. And that's the working of the Holy Spirit. I used to be unkind, and now I'm kind, because none of that is the natural bent. But it's because I've got God living in me. And as a result of that, it draws me to Him. I'm being changed into the image of Christ every day. Every day. Every day. The second thing that we see here in these scriptures as we continue on is this, is that Jesus warns His disciples about the religious nonsense of the Pharisees and Sadducees that can so easily infiltrate and enhance. It can infiltrate the heart, which will cause an action that is contrary of God. Look, look at what happens here in verse 5. Look, look at this, this, um, this, this conversation that, that takes place. Verse 5 says this, When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. So, so they get in the boat, they're leaving. As they go, they, they forget to bring food for the day or for the trip or for the journey, for, for wherever they're going, whatever's happening. Uh, they, they forget to do that. And so Jesus says to them, so Jesus responds. He does this Jesus thing that he does. He responds, Jesus said to them, uh, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, so he, he talks they're doing their thing, whatever it is, and he, he says to them, watch, beware, be careful of this leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In verse 7, and they began discussing it among themselves. Who, who are they talking to? Themselves, saying this, we brought no bread. So they're kind of having this little thing on their own, and, and in that, Jesus is aware and hears and responds. I don't know how close he is or how far away he is, but, but he responds to it. And I don't know where you sit this morning, or I don't know who's in your life, but, but what I love is this is the honesty of the Scriptures. I mean, it doesn't hide things. All I know is if I was going to write a book, I would put the good stuff out there and probably keep the bad stuff out. You know, like, like I'm going I'm to do what I can to kind of like dress the thing up to make it more appealing, to look better. To That's not what the Scriptures do. That's not what I mean. Look, think of all the things that the disciples had seen and experienced and walked with Jesus through. I mean, these are the used to start his church and take the gospel to the world. These guys who are in the boat having this discussion about not having any bread, that, that's who's going to use and it seems over and over and over, doesn't it, that they, they struggle to really pick up on what Jesus is saying or who he is or what's happening in that moment. And so I don't know about you, but for me, that's a warm invitation. That's, that's a warm invitation to come and be a part. I mean, you are right at home here this morning in, in the middle of Jesus is as we pursue imperfectly, but, but pressing toward holiness, as, as, we, as we walk after Jesus as messed up as we are. 
And, and I, I draw from the reality of who these disciples are, and I just say, there is hope. There, there, there is hope. And so it's happening here yet again, talking to each other. Jesus steps in because he wasn't talking about bringing the snacks for the trip. Like, like yesterday, my oldest boy, he had, had a golf tournament up in Brevard. And so like for me, I've got to walk with him and carry his bag. So daddy needs some snacks. He's 10, he'll be fine. But, but like I need a, a, a kick of sugar every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? So, so for me, like, like, babe, did we pack the gummies? Not for Brody, but for Scott. You know, like, 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 do we have that stuff? I'm going to need a drink. I'm going to need, I'm gonna need some, some, some nutrients and some things like that to help me. I mean, this was a hilly course. Like, so so I, I see what's happening here. So I, can, I, can relate to their, I can relate to what's going on here, but, but Jesus isn't talking about that. He doesn't care if you brought the protein bars or not. That, that's not what he's, what he's meaning here. He's saying something uh, uh, much, much greater. But Jesus, verse 8, aware of this. Just shows they're missing it. Yet once again, Jesus is aware of this. He says, oh, you of little faith. Man, uh, the ones that have seen, the ones that have experienced, the ones that are aware of, and you have little faith. You of little faith. So I don't know what your story is this morning as you're here in this place. I don't know. The good news about faith is that you just have to have enough. You, there's no surplus of faith. And the reality is this, is that you don't just muster it up yourself. God's the one that gives it. So, so, uh, so faith is, is a gift from the Father is what the Scriptures teach. And so if you're teetering in that spot, just, just know God's working and doing. And, and, and He can step in and He can work with just, just the smallest amount, mustard seed, I believe the Scriptures teach. So it says, oh, you of little faith, which will point to me. And there's some faith there. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Why are you worried about the snacks? Verse 9. Do you not yet perceive? Do you not Five loaves uh, uh, for the 5,000. How many baskets did you gather, he says. Verse 10, or the seven loaves for the 4,000. How many baskets did you gather there? See, the physical need wasn't the issue here. Having food was not the problem. Jesus has already established that he can take care of that if need be. He's talking about something much deeper, much, much greater. He's talking about the spiritual side of things. That's what Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 11. It says, how is it that you fail to understand that bread. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Then they understood. It's kind of like they have this moment, ah, but man, what if we get hungry? Like, like, what if there's a big hill and I need my fruit snack? Like, what what happens then? And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm I'm talking about this mentality, this practice, uh, this gospel that's contrary to the true gospel that the Pharisees and Sadducees teach. That's what Jesus is talking about. This mentality, this way of living, uh, this is what he's saying to them. It's like they finally understood. They get it. Beware of the leaven of the bread, but of that teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So as I was reading and studying this week, I came across this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this. He says, Beloved, the legalist in us, the rule five, that you got to earn it, that you got to do the right things, you got to say the right things, you got to play the right part, you got to look good on the outside. The legalist in us is a great deal older than the Christian. If I were a legalist today, I should be some 15 or 16 years older than I am as a Christian, for we're all born 
legalists. What he's saying is this, is that we're all born with this bent that we've got to earn, that, that we've got to work for, that we've got to try to deserve, that, that we've got to do whatever we can to, to obtain it that way, that we've got to keep all the rules and all the lists and all the regulations. And, and the great news about the gospel is that we don't have to, but we get to. Like, like I don't focus on not doing something. I focus on doing something. And the focus that I uh, focus on doing is that of pursuing Jesus. I don't get up in the morning think, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and put my list of don't do's in front of me. I get up in the morning with, with one thought on my mind, one thought on my heart. The driving force behind what I do is I get to pursue Jesus. I get to follow him in relationship. I get to step into life with him and allow him to, to navigate and to, uh, to go into those deep crevices of my heart and soul and kind of bring out and pull out some of that, Scott, you've got to earn and you've got to do. I mean, we're all wired that way. We are performance-driven to the hilt, are we not? What do you think social media is? Let me try to up you one about how great my life is. And what does it do? It just depletes us, does it not? Well, dang, I did my devotion two times this week. And my team lost. God, I thought you loved me. Or dang, my kids. I know their kids. Their kids are monsters. My kids aren't quite monstrous like that. How the heck do they get to go to Disneyland? Would you really want to go to Disneyland with their kids? But I'm just like, but is, it, is that not the world we live in? Compare, compare, compare. Do, do, do. Look at, look at what I've done. Look at how I've kept. Look at how I've accomplished. And what Spurgeon is saying is, is, is the bent of the heart. We're all born that way. Me, me, me. Approval driven. Got to be liked. Got to follow. Got to do. To earn. And what the gospel says, you can't earn it. That's what's so amazing about grace. Is that all of us even coming together and pulling all of our resources and all of our efforts together still fall woefully short of earning anything in the sight of God? Why? Because we're sinful and wicked. He is holy and righteous and pure. That's the God that we serve so something in us pushes us toward that thought that we can earn and deserve. We're born resisting the idea of grace because of the awful things that grace says about us. Grace outs us. We see it all over the place, don't we? Like, like, I mean, honest to goodness, how bad are we really? I even just did it in my testimony, did I not? I mean, I was just 11. I hadn't been that bad yet. I mean, like, I didn't get into like, some of the stuff that probably some of y'all gotten into. This is not like testimony. <laughs> but you know what is nasty and as filthy to God as however bad you think you've been and whatever you've done? It's me thinking that I'm okay because I followed some rules and lists. It's just as horrific as the drunkard on the street or the woman of the night or the guy that abuses his wife following a list of rules and thinking that you can earn favor with God is just as horrific. And the problem with our day, the problem, not with our day, any day that you've lived in, the problem is the human heart. We are sinful and wicked. And, and one small drop of sin is deserving of the whole wrath of God being poured out upon us. See, what happens is this, is you've got the fair 
Pharisees that are legalists who are puffed up the book of Corinthians to us. They look educated. They look clean. They look alive. All the while, they're dying on the inside. The outside is not and shiny. They, they've developed ways of appearing to be godly without really uh, preferring or prioritizing God in their hearts. The outside looks good while the inside is broken and messed up, and they don't want to deal with the inside. Man, if I can just make them believe, if I can just fool them, if I can just show them, if I can just trick them to think that I'm something, man, then I'll be okay. And so what happens is they knew about God and never penetrated their heart in such a way that would be about authentic action toward God, a real faith and glad submission to who Jesus was. So my question for you this morning is, what about you? What, what areas in your life do you say the right things? Do you look the right way? Maybe even act the part. But your heart is nowhere near the obedience that you put off in action. And, and the reality is, we're all a bit hypocritical. Every one of us in the room. We say something that we're against, or we stand, or we stand for something that we're against, all the while still sometimes giving in to the thing that we say that we're against. We've all got it in us. That's what the scriptures teach. We're all sinners. There's always going to be something we're struggling with, something that we're battling against. And this is one of those things that so easily just continues to creep back in, creep back in, creep back in. God is not this big old guy on a throne just waiting for you to screw up. He's not waiting for you to mess up. He's not waiting to get you. That's not God. That's not our Father. I don't know what you've been taught. I don't know what you think. I don't know what you've experienced. God is for you. Hear that this morning. God is for you in the way that I know that is because he kills his son on the cross for us to make a way for us to get to him. He's not out to get you. Jesus will answer for our sin and pay the payment that's due us as long as we're in Christ. earn it. You don't have to try. You just believe and walk in. That's what we're called to do. And we're going to limp from time to time, or we're going to struggle from time to time. But his grace is even greater than that for us and in us. So we're to always be aware and sensitive to sin. Repenting. Repenting and running to the Father. Always. That's what we're called to do. That's what relationship looks like. It's not about a list. And I don't know I don't, how scary it is to tell you that this morning. But if I believe what the book says, I've got to tell you the truth. Because that's not license to just go live how you want to. Because what that would do would show that you don't get grace. Would show that you don't understand it. Would show that you probably aren't born of God. But what grace does is, is a warm welcome, even in the biggest of mess ups. Come on, child. You're mine. I know you messed up. We're, we're, we're there yesterday. Oh, man, we're there yesterday, and, and I love, like, walking with my boy and getting, like, I love golf. I love being outside. I love the mountain. We're, like, we were in the perfect environment yesterday. I mean, the temperature was just right, and we're there, and, and he, he has worked his tail off this week for this tournament, like, hitting balls and putting and chipping and doing the stuff. And we're there, and he has this hole where he hits it out of bounds, and he has to re-tee. He hits it again, and it's in the fairway, and then he, he hits it, and it's a, kind of a bad hit long, and then he has to chip. 
and he chips it all the way. Stop it. I'm in the middle of something. He hits it all the way across the green. And so then he has to hit it again, and he hits it like this far, and he taps it in for a seven on a par four. And I look over at him, and he's like, Dad, I'm sorry. I said, no. No. There's nothing to be sorry for. I said, did you try? Did you give it your all? Yeah. And he's starting to cry a little bit. I said, no, there's nothing to be sorry for, dude. You're 10 years old. There's no pressure. I mean, dude, it's 70 degrees and we're in the mountains. And I get to be your dad doing this with you, walking with you, carrying your, you're not even carrying your bag. Like, I'm jealous of you. (laughs) You get to have all the fun. I'm the one that had to go find your ball in the briars. And I paid to do it. I said, you have nothing to be sorry for. We're playing a stupid game at the end of the day that you know what will affect you? None. Because after this, we're going to eat a good meal, and we're going to laugh, and he's got a buddy that wants to go to that jump place and do something. I mean, you're 10. Be 10, and don't worry about hitting the ball in the woods. That's not why Dad loves you. Dad loves you regardless. And in that moment of thinking of that, it just hit me. That's what God does with us. I screwed up again. I said, I said the thing that I said I would never say, or I acted out on the thing that I said I would never act out on again. I, I, I did, God, I promised you, and I just can't. You're right, you can't do it, Scott, so quit trying. Just keep pursuing. Let me do the work. Let me do the changing. Let me do the convicting. Let, let me, I don't care if you don't. Because I love you, you're mine, you're my kids, you're my boy, and there's nothing that can take that away. Nothing. And that's what the cross shows us. That's what the cross proves to us. That's what the cross tells us. So so what do we take away here in this moment as the band comes back up? Is there any hint of leaven of the Pharisees in your life? And what I mean by that is this. Are you on the tee box and you've already knocked one out of bounds? You've already knocked one out of bounds and you're teeing it up again. Or maybe you're on the green and you're finishing the hole and you're trying to earn it. It's a par four, but you, you made it in seven. Maybe you're on your 12th shot right now. I just want to say, put the clubs down and quit. Just, just embrace in the moment who the Father is. What He said about you, what He thinks about you. What you mean to him already, regardless of how well you hit the ball. I, I, don't, care what your, I don't care what your job is, what your career is. I don't care if, you've, if you feel like you've been the biggest fail in your entire life. I don't care if you don't feel like you, you fit the mold. You're not fitting the mold. Do you know the looks I get whenever I say I'm a pastor? And I'm so thankful for that. Because I don't know what a pastor is supposed to look like or dress like or be like. But I know what someone who follows Jesus is supposed to look like. Someone who cares about sin in their life. I know what that looks like and what to do there. And so the leaven of the Pharisees is this, is that if if you haven't kept the law this week, or if you're not reading the right version of the Bible, now hear me, there are some versions that are horrific that I would not consider versions of the Bible that we do need to throw out and burn. 
or if you're not dressing a certain way, or if you're not whatever that list of whatever it is. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. Because if you don't do those things, then you, you can't earn God's love. And I'm here to tell you, there's no way for you to earn God's love. You're exactly right. You can't. Because God's love is a gift that is given, not something to be earned on performance. And so this morning what we see is that Jesus calls out that mindset. He calls out that way. He calls out the Pharisees and Sadducees, those who are steeped in legalism or dead religion. We see him warning his disciples here, y'all be on guard. Be on guard because it's coming. It's going to happen. I can't can't tell you the battle of this that I fight even today. Well, dang. We should be so much further down the road than we are right now. I should be so much further down the road uh, than I am right now. (sighs) Epic fail. No, 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 no. The fact that you're even aware of God working and doing in your life, that you even feel conviction is a good gift of God. We've got to get rid of the the mentality and of, of empty practice of one thing living a different way or trying to earn or stack up to an expectation that God's never even set for us. You broke five commandments this week. He still loves you. You kept all 10. He loves you the same. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. What do we do? How do we check for this in our lives? How do we fight against this way of legalism or false religion? Quick, a few things here, and, and, and we'll, we'll pray and let God do whatever He needs to do. We need to have a motive check. Why? Why do I do what I do? Is it to make Scott look better? Or is it to push for the glory of God being made known? Another way is accountability. Have those in your life who love the Lord and love you enough to check your heart often, to ask those questions that might make you uncomfortable or that might stir you. Another way is to be sensitive of sin. Spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time before the cross. And when God points something out, we repent and we run to the Father whose arms are wide open. Another way is to serve others. The way you're not legalistic is you care, you care genuinely for other people at all costs. Be on the lookout, be ready always and often for anyone. Another way that you can fight it is to change things up. Complacency breeds what? Contentment. And contentment can kill in a moment, can drown out. So change things up. I mean, if you're, if you're quiet time stale, try, try something different. In chapter after, then just read a few verses. Maybe if it's in up location. I'll move from different places in my life. Uh, there's a cycle of things, the how, the place, the, those such things up. But routine is a great thing, but it can also be a mundane thing. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart this morning. I don't know what he said to you. I'll say this. If you're not his, he wants you. If you're not his, he wants you. And I don't know what you've been taught. I don't know what you've heard. But man, it's about grace and mercy that has extended to us it's by faith it's by faith that you enter into relationship with him 
You, you let him and the Holy Spirit direct you with the do's and don'ts. There are things that we do and we don't. But he loves you enough to let you know. He'll tell you. Or if you're here this morning, you're just suffering, whatever it may be. Man, the altar's open. We're here. Since here, we'd love to pray, love to walk with you about what that looks like, what that means. But man, may in this moment, you be obedient to the Father. Whatever shot you're on, whatever you're trying to earn, you don't have to. He loves you in spite of you. That's what Jesus tells us. Father, help us this morning to get this, to feel this. Father, do a work, I pray, in the heart of the men and women in this room. Father, in my heart, all oh, the times I try to earn it or try to make you proud or try to... The fact that I'm yours, you already are. There's nothing I can do. I get to just continue to pursue. Father, help us at, and be at that place this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You stay and respond. If it's singing, come to the altar or whatever it is that you need to do in this moment.